Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Hello, this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at GreenLight.Guru, and you are listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. We have found yet another brilliant mind in the medical device industry. Our guest on this episode is Peter Sibelius. Peter is the founder of Gantus.com, G-A-N-T-U-S. Peter and I talk about something that's very important to probably many of you listening, and that's medical device product development project management. So be sure to listen in as we talk about things like, can you be lean and agile in your product development efforts and still comply with FDA and ISO regulations? You're going to want to find out by tuning in to this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is John Spear, founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.Guru. Today, we are going to discuss an exciting topic of medical device, product development, project management. Today I have a guest, Peter Sibelius. Peter is the founder of Gantis.com and works exclusively with medical device, product development, and associated areas. Peter is a certified project manager and has vast experience as, as a manager in the medical device industry and is an esteemed project management and design control trainer and is a member of the joint working groups on ISO 13485 and ISO 14971. Very important standards for our industry. Peter knows his stuff. Peter works with making product development compliant and lean on the same time. So, Peter, welcome to the program. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, Peter, you and I have had a chance to have some really great conversations over the – well, I guess we've known each other now through Skype. You're calling – and today from Sweden, I'm in the U.S., but we've gotten to know each other decently well, have some good conversations, and we have a common passion, and that's medical device product development. True. Yeah, I definitely, we definitely share that passion. <laughs> Peter, I think I first discovered you and my search for content on ISO 14971, and I was looking for a video, actually, to see if anybody had actually tried to describe this in a, a succinct but informational format. And I came across your video on ISO 14971, and I'm going to tell you, it's the best video I've ever seen on medical device risk management by far and away. You, you do such a great job on that. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to talk about medical device product development and specifically you know, project management. And I want to try to start off with something first that can help people think about this. We hear all these things about lean product development or agile methodology and so on and so forth. And I think that's used, that terminology or that philosophy is, is pretty popular, certainly with software development these days. But there's this opinion that, that I cannot be lean and agile with my product development activities and also compliant to FDA and 1345 at the same time. So I'm going to throw that out there and get your take on, on that topic. Can you be lean and compliant at the same time? 
Well, I, I, thanks for that question, John. I, I definitely think you can. and But definitely many companies are also struggling with this because um, for several reasons, actually. It seems many times that the more documents you have, the better it is. And, and that's certainly not true. And uh, people have various challenges with this monster, basically, that they, they consider the 21 CFR 820 to be or the ISO 13485 for that matter. But but you can do it. And I think there, there are many ways around these problems, of course, but you can can be lean for sure. And I'm hoping that we can discuss some of these things. And, and, and I'm looking forward to learn from you what you think of them. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. You know, I think I'll, I'll take you back. I won't go through every step of my journey, but I'll take you back to, to some of the highlights in my past 17 plus years in this industry. And I remember when I first started, it was 1998. And although design controls were new at that time, newer at the time, you know, they'd been a couple years old, but it was kind of a new philosophy for many of my colleagues, and I didn't know any different. But I read the regulations. I saw the famous waterfall design control diagram, and, and I'm thinking, oh, medical device product development is a straight line. And it didn't take long, but I realized, no, medical device product development is far from a straight line. And so you got to try to figure out with any project, what can I do? What do I know? What can I you know, take from, from start to finish as quickly as possible because, you know, how many times have you worked on a project where that, that deadline was given to you before you even started the project? And, uh, and so you got to figure out ways to be quick and nimble, but it is a struggle, you know, because if I read the regulations, literally I can very quickly determine, oh, this says I need to do my user needs. And then when I'm done with my user needs, then I go through a design review and then I do design inputs and do those and so on. So, what are some, some thoughts and ideas that you have about ways to use that lean and agile methodology but keep the, the controls in place to satisfy you know, the regulatory nature? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. And I think that there are two things that I would like to mention in that context. And, and one of the things is actually not to have the controls. Now, that sound, may sound provocative, but, but one mistake uh, that many companies do is that they actually try to apply all the design control principles way too early, which means that you're trying to set up uh, both the project and your specifications and have them all approved without really knowing exactly what the product is going to be like. Now, to me, that is to apply those principles too early because it was never intended in project management or design control for that matter to be changing technical solutions fundamentally while you're in that process. So the solution to that is to understand and be able to use feasibility studies or concept studies or pre-studies that are actually not under design control, that are maybe a much more appropriate way of organizing work when it's fundamentally changing all the time. So that would be one of the keys to sort of wait a little longer before turning on all the design controls. It's important then, of course, to be clear about the purpose of those things. I'm not saying you should have a finished product and then finish the product in two weeks at the end, which yeah. also happens for some companies. But that's, of course, not the intention. But to find the right balance. And, and I sometimes say, like I believe uh, a, a famous uh, politician said, you have to have a gut feeling sometimes. <laughs> you have to have that gut feeling when to turn on the design controls, not too early and not too late. All right. So let's talk about turning on the design controls a bit. I think that's a term or a, a phrase that, that's often thrown out in this industry. And I'm, I'm not sure everybody has a clear image or maybe everybody has a clear image. I, I just think the image is, is somewhat restrictive at times. I mean, I, I still come across people even in 2016 who think of design controls and they automatically in their minds think 
restrictive. And I think that term design control has is a misnomer for some people because they look at this, when I enter design control, now I suddenly can't be innovative and creative. I struggle with that because I think design controls should be a framework. And when I try to teach and explain that topic, and, I'm, and I know you do a lot of training on design controls and risk and related topics, but when I try to explain this to people, it's like, use design controls. It's your friend. <laughs> Realize that it's a tool. It's a methodology to try to help you capture the essence of your device to prove that it's safe and effective for your intended use. It's not restrictive. And, and I agree with you. When I refer to it as when you start your design controls and make the project more formalized, it's, of course, still possible to change things. It's just that it's going to take more time and more resources to do that. And when I refer to that turn on design control, I mean, when you have approved your first version, the first real effective version of the design and development plan, and you have approved your design and development inputs, that would, yeah. to me would be, now we are under design control. And yeah. that's, of course, not a perfectly black and white situation. <laughs> you, you start moving into that. But that also brings me to the to the other reason why this sometimes is a challenging area. And that is that people are worried about not having everything defined. Yeah, And this is why I always tell manufacturers, you, you have to be able to use TBDs, as I call them, or to be determined. It's perfectly okay to write a requirement and say, well, we think it's going to be like this, but we don't know the exact amount or the weight or that dimension, but we, we think there's going to be this requirement. And you should use TBDs. Yeah. That's... And make sure you update that as you go along. Because what otherwise happens is that you just keep on waiting on having all the details. And to be honest, you won't have that until you've basically done your last verification. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the TBD concept. I mean, it's, you know, the way my mind works is I want to have a placeholder. I want to have a reminder so I don't... I don't forget it. Like you say, I don't know, always know the details, but I know it's got to be some shape, size, or have some sort of characteristic in this particular area. And if I can capture that and define that as I uh, evolve my design, then prototype and so on, I, th I think that's a great suggestion for people. All right, so you mentioned something a moment ago that I hear a lot and, and actually experience a lot with some of the customers that I work with. And that is, they're going to do all of the work all the the inputs, the outputs, the verification, the valid, you know, almost the validation activities, but they're not going to document it. And they're going to wait until they have the, quote, perfect product or the product that they're ready to go to production with. And then they're going to try to do a, a mad dash. They're going to catch up all their design controls. And so in that case, they're just doing design controls as a checkbox. And I just like, uh, just it just agitates me. So <laughs> I'm sure you've had some similar experiences. Sure, sure. And there are two different, uh, I think there are two different views on that. One is that people are, well, it, it all comes down to what, I think, what documentation is to you. And I think the right way to look at all those documents that people often speak negatively about is that, well, the good thing with them is that they force you to think. Because what you cannot write down is something that you probably haven't thought through well. And this is the beauty of that, I think, when you start making your uh, requirement specifications and plans. I mean, 80% of that is probably a, a no-brainer to write down. But then you have those 20% that you really need to think hard to figure out. And that's a good thing that you have to think hard because otherwise you're going to run into problems. So going through this process properly and having that as the framework, as you say, I think is a really, really good idea. Then people sometimes wait with signing all the documents. And I think that 
from one point of view, I can understand it because if you have a system which is really, really difficult when it comes to approvals and, and how to implement and make documents effective, I can understand that. But if you have a strong desire not to sign and get your documents approved early, that's usually a symptom that your document control procedures are bad. And, right. and people tell me that we don't want to change anything because it's so difficult. Yeah, but then you need to look at your procedure. It's not intended to be that difficult. It, right. There's something wrong then. Right. All right. So, Peter, we've spent a fair amount of time talking about design control today, and, and I let off our discussion saying that it was going to be about medical device product development project management. So some may be wondering, wait a minute, guys, I, I thought you were going to talk about project management and why are you spending all this time talking about design control? So share with me your your opinion, your thoughts. That's a good comment. Thanks for keeping us on track. The, the, the good thing uh, here, I think, is uh, well, I can tell you that when I came to the medical device industry in 1999, almost, almost when you started out working with this, I was very much into project management. I was reading every book there was on the topic and I came to Me medical too. devices from the defense industry, which has always been really good at structured product development. And the US Department of Defense has authored lots of really nice documents uh, that talks about this and your military standards as well from US. So I was all, all into this. And then I came to a medical device company and I started looking at design controls and, and I thought to myself, well, this is sort of similar, but they don't have the same names. And I came to it with project management plans or project plans and I saw that there was a requirement for design and development plans and and I started asking myself so what's the difference and and basically when when you boil it down the only difference is that design controls won't require you to to consider financial aspects of how you develop a product other than that they're so similar and project management and design controls are basically best practices on how to run product development. Right. There might be 5-10% in design controls that you feel, why am I doing this? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll just have to live with them. But the 90%, those are things that makes perfect sense from every point of view in doing in most product development projects. So these are very, very tightly linked to each other. Yeah. I, I thank you for sharing that. And I can remember very distinct, I'll say discussions, but they were probably more like arguments in my career where there was this topic of the product development process versus design controls and, and how they're separate things and you need to keep them you know, distinct and you have to have a firm line between the two because you know, there's this fear or conventional wisdom, whatever you want to label it as, that you know, FDA, if they come in and do an inspection or you get an ISO audit, that they only get to see the design control stuff and all the other stuff. You know, that's that's our secret sauce. That's our that's our business process and so on. And I think people get hung up on that. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the, the major difference you would find, for example, in the design and development plan compared to the project plan is just that the budget is missing or your cost right. performance baseline. I usually, I refer to the uh, guide, uh, a guide for the project management body of knowledge, which is an excellent book on the topic of project management. I would say, it's fairly boring because there are not many color pictures in it, but it's like the work on project management in the world. It's an ANSI standard and you yeah. know there's nothing in it or there's nothing in project management that is not in that book basically. And so I refer to that one and when you, when you compare that, when I do my project management courses for medical device product development, you can see that all the elements that are in design control, you will find them in the PMBOK. They might have slightly different names, but it's all in there. So, so they're okay. really tied together. And yeah. 
speaking about this worry about having the budget and the financial things available to the auditor. Well, I usually tell people, well, put in a reference to the budget. You might not want to list it in your design right. and development plan, but just make a reference. And if there is an auditor that pursues that line of auditing, I mean, I've never, ever seen that happen. Right. Uh, and then you still have everything in one place. It's transparent to everyone. And you can see why you have that. It's not two different worlds living next to each other. It's one integral approach to developing a product in a project form. Right. Those are great tips. So, Peter, if I'm a, developing a new medical device, and maybe whether it doesn't matter if I'm brand new to this industry or I've been doing this for a thousand years, what are some key tips and pointers that you can give me as a product development project manager, what are some, you know, maybe a few tips that you can provide me to, to help me better understand how to leverage, you know, lean methodology in my efforts and, and not get too hung up on, is this business or design control, you know, help me kind of wrap my head around that. I think that one of the things that project managers in the medical device industry should be doing is to learn more about quality management and regulatory affairs, basically. I once had a student on one of my courses who said, well, I'm here because I want to know the rules so I know how to bend them. <laughs> and, and that's maybe a quite cynical approach to it. But, but still, there are so many project managers that are only doing project management, and then they get a pushback from maybe a QA department or regulatory affairs saying, no, it should be like this and that. And that's not always true. Right. So having your own knowledge and confidence in yourself, knowing that this is going to be sufficient, is a very, very valuable competence and to have, I think. Yeah. So, so that would be one advice. Make okay. sure you as a project manager or someone you have really close to you in your project knows what's good enough. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a key tip. I can remember that my first stop in, in this industry, I worked for a larger company, and there was a, a lot of misconceptions, I, I would say, with how we handled medical device product development. The first misconception at that company was, because you are an engineer, that means you're going to be a good project manager. The second misconception that was in place at that organization was, that product development is an engineering issue, is not a it's not an enterprise wide issue. So I don't know if if you want to comment on either one of those those two misconceptions. Yeah, well, someone told me that the more complex the project is, the less you need an engineer to manage it, and I think that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. engineers, you know, let's let's use the engineering mind to solve technical issues. And, and don't mishear me. There, I know plenty of engineers who are very good project managers, but but sometimes that engineering skill set is not necessarily what's going to lend itself well to product development, project management. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and picking up on, on some of the advice here, because I, I wanted to add one more thing you said, what, what sure. should one think of uh, if you want to develop products uh, and be successful with that? And this might be a thing which is not that easy to change. And I know you've been working a lot with this in, in your product and your system, the quality management system that you're offering. And that is to get the document controls right. Yes. And what I see companies doing mistakes with over and over and over again is that they have way too many signatures on their documents. Yes. And one should keep in mind that this is something that we almost entirely choose ourselves as manufacturers. I would say that there are some documents that where we would want to have QA involvement or at least ensure that the information is made available to management so that they can make the right decisions. But for those few exceptions, all the rest 
is up to ourselves to determine who should be reviewing and approving. Yeah. And when, when you get that document with eight signatures on the front page, it's taken forever to get those signatures. <laughs> and yes. probably it was just the first or the last or no person on that list that actually read the document. Yeah. Everybody on there says, well, the person before me already read it, so I don't yeah. have to. Or I think that the rest of the people that will be signing will read it. So yeah. I, I might, you know, that doesn't work well, simply put. I, and I'd rather have one or, you know, one reviewer signing it if they are to sign it at all, and then one approver. And yeah. I know that I can hold that person responsible for that signature. We, we had a saying in the military when I was doing my military service that a shared responsibility is no responsibility. Right. Yeah, yeah and you have eight people. That's just twelve point five percent responsibility, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, the same philosophy is true. If you're trying to make a decision by consensus, you, chances of you making a decision will be very, very, very small. You're right. All right. So, Peter, we think we've done a, a good job of trying to provide some tips and pointers, or at least getting people thinking about some key concepts between design control and product development process. How really they are one and the same, and and trying to get people to think about lean, agile methodology as we go through that process. And I'm sure that we can talk about this for a lot longer than our time today. But I do want to, I want you to share a little bit about what you do at Gantis and, and some of the training programs that you offer and, and how people can find you and your programs. Yeah, thanks, John. So I provide online training on risk management, which is, a, I guess, a topic in itself that we could be spending a lot of time on. But I do have an online course for risk management for medical devices in ISO 4971, which is quite nice because people can take it anytime they like uh, and they appreciate that. And also training courses on design control and project management combined with product development in the medical device industry. So I, I do company internal courses and open courses, mainly in Northern Europe, but also in US during this fall. Okay. And then, of course, I try to help out reviewing and optimizing the processes for companies that are medical device manufacturers, trying to solve some of the problems that we've been talking about, where they have those eight, ten signatures, and they're right. wondering, why are we doing this? And when it, they start feeling it takes an awful lot of time, there's probably something wrong in our process. That's a, a quite common assignment for me to help out with those uh, procedures or processes. Very good. Well, I want you all to do a search for Peter Sibelius, S-E-B-E. L-I-U-S, Gantus, G-A-N-T-U-S. And, and Peter, the website for Gantus, again, is, can you remind us? That's Gantus.com. Gantus.com. So when you search for that, I want you to spend that few minutes and watch his video on ISO 14971 risk management. It's good stuff. It really is. So, Peter, thank you for being our guest today. I enjoy, as always, having a conversation with you and look forward to that next. We've got a couple other topics that we've been kind of bouncing back and forth. So I'll look for upcoming podcasts real soon with Peter on these kinds of topics. Thank you, John. I enjoyed having this talk with you. Looking forward to the next time. All right. Well, great. As Peter mentioned a couple of times during today that it's it's important to keep, to, you know, to, to use some logic when you're doing your quality system and capturing your design controls and risk management. And I think that that's so important, especially today, now more than ever. You do need to address the quality system components. You do need to capture your design controls, design history file, and risk management activities, of course. And what, what a better way to do that than to use a software solution that's designed specifically for the medical device industry. So yeah, that's right. Check out greenlight.guru. That is the domain. Greenlight.guru has developed a software solution that helps managing your documents, your records, your quality system, your design controls, your risk management, all those things that you need to do to meet FDA 
21, CFR Part 820, and ISO 1345, and ISO 14971, as easy as possible. Again, this has been John Spear, your host, and the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.Guru, and this has been the Global Medical Device Podcast.